You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. How many of you excited are excited to begin a time of prayer and fasting? Woo! Yeah, I mean, come on, we're pretty messed up people. We're getting excited to not eat. Okay, that was sarcastic. All right. But I'm excited for what God's going to do in us in the season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm not necessarily excited about not eating, <laughs> but I'm excited for what he's going to do. We have a booklet for you, uh, for you to take home. Our ushers should have these ready to hand out. I just want to, we want them to pass out in the rows uh, to you right now. And so that's going to begin. But we would encourage you, again, if you call the Promise Church your home church, to really have Ask the Holy Spirit how you can partner with Him for these next 21 days of prayer and fasting. I believe that God will give each one of you a specific plan and how you are to go about doing that, specific for you, for your family. And I believe God's going to do amazing things in this time as we seek Him, as we humble ourselves before Him, as we come to sit at His feet to hear His voice and just simply be with Him. And in this booklet, there's some great ways that you can pray, you can uh, put your focus on the Lord that you can, you can do during these next 21 days. If you don't be intentional to spend extra time alone with Jesus in these next 21 days, you're essentially just doing a sadistic diet. Don't do that. <laughs> spend extra time with the Lord. He wants to speak to you. He's going to move in your life. And last year we did this and it was phenomenal. And I know God did many great things in our lives that carried with us throughout the entire year of 2020, and I know that we were all deeply touched and changed by him in, in, the, in that time. So again, he's going to give you something to do every day. It doesn't, you, maybe you only water fast for a handful of days within the 21, but every day there's, there's something that he's going to have you do, whether you skip a meal, maybe it's, you only eat for certain times of the day, like an intermittent fast, from, you only eat from 11 to 7, but that God has something for you every day uh, with him in this journey. And you cannot do it without him. Don't try to do it in your own efforts, your own strength, your own ideas and strategies. Do it with him, and he will strengthen you and sustain you. Amen? Amen. Do me a favor and put these on the floor. Put these down. And as we jump into the word, let's not be distracted by these beautiful booklets that we have here for you. Let's do this. Why don't we just pray? Join, join with me this morning as we, as we just pray to get our hearts and our minds ready to receive from his word today. Lord, we, we put our eyes on you. Jesus, we come before you. We love you so much. We are in desperate need of you. God, we come humbly before you and declare that you alone are God, you alone are king, you alone are good, and there is no one like you. And we need you. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would soften our hearts. You would prepare our hearts to receive from your word. God, that you would help us to become more like you. Mold us and shape us more into your image and your likeness. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified today. That you would be honored. That you would be praised. We love you. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning... If you weren't able to grab 
communion element as you made your way to your seat this morning. We have them for you behind the wall here. We are going to take communion at, at the end of the message today. Um, yes, it's okay to go get that right now. All is forgiven. <laughs> but we, we are excited. I'm excited to partake with you in a place of his table and communion with the Lord today. Wow, there's a line. Praise God. <laughs> All right. Well, this morning, while it is still morning, five minutes to go, praise God, uh, I want to just share some quick thoughts uh, that I believe the Lord's given me, some things from His Word, and some things that He's just spoken to me over these last couple weeks uh, as we began to end the, the year of 2020 and come into the new year. I was just spending time with the Lord, and He just kind of dropped some thoughts in my heart that I believe were for me, but also for us as a church, and I wanted to share them with you today. If you're wanting a title uh, for the message today, it is, sim- it is simply this, Courageously Humble and Humbly Courageous. Courageously Humble and Humbly Courageous. He gave me this phrase. It's not complicated. It's not deep. It's not like a super long list of things. He gave me this phrase, Stay Humble and Stay Courageous. Stay Humble and stay courageous. And, I, and as I began to meditate on that with the Lord and ask Him to reveal what He's wanting to show me in that and for our house here and what He's speaking in that phrase, I kind of landed for a moment on the word stay. I just want to kind of break this down for a little bit. I landed on that word stay because we here at the Promise Church have been on a journey these last couple of years to really intentionally be a people that God doesn't visit but that he stays. We are not interested in a visitation from God. We want to be a habitation. We want him to be here. We have no desire to ask God to be our honored guest. Why? Because it's his house. This is his house. And this church and every church, the church of the body of Christ worldwide is meant to be built on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. It is meant to be about him and for him and unto him. It is not meant to be about people, about building a church where people feel comfortable and where people feel like it's about them in some way, shape, or form. It's meant to be about him. And when you actually live a life about him, then all of a sudden he gives you strength to be in a place of comfort, but courage in a place of risk at the same time. (laughs) And he wants us to be all about him, focused on him, built on him. Jesus said, I will build my church. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We're not interested in tailoring services and structuring an organization so that people have a great time and a great service. We want to exalt him. We want to love him. We want to honor him, and we want people to know him. And for some reason in America, we have this idea that church has to be somehow structured in a way to, be, to make Jesus appealing to other people, if, in, 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 in a sense saying that he isn't of himself appealing. But I'm telling you, when you reveal who he is, as authentically as we, as we can, he is the most appealing and most amazing person you could ever know, and only he will fulfill you and satisfy you. You do not have to apologize for making church a certain way because uh, you are revealing the full nature of him. And we desire him more than anyone and anything else. 
This is who we are. And this is where we've been on a journey of being a, a dwelling place for God. And we've talked about different things that God is looking for in a people where he doesn't just visit, but that he stays, that he dwells. And we've shared different ones of them. And I'm going to just run through them quickly and highlight a, a big one today. And, and they, the, they are first love. Jesus is looking for a people who will love him and love him first. That he is their first love. That they will love him above all else. And that their desire is simply him. Simply to know him and make him known. He's looking for people who will be hungry for more of him. They don't get satisfied, complacent, and comfortable with what they have, but are constantly in a place of hungering and thirsting for more of him. He's looking for people who are humble. He is looking for people who are humble. We're going to get into more of what that looks like here in a moment. But hunger and humility usually work hand in hand. They are cyclical in in the nature in which they work. If you are humble, you will stay hungry. If you are hungry, you will be humble. He's looking for a people who will walk in holiness. God above all else, he is holy. And he invites us into a place to be like him, to take on his nature of holiness. There is no way to walk with God and be in his presence and host him and be among him and dwell with him without being like him in holiness. A people that will not compromise. A people who will not just tolerate things of sin or of the world in our lives, but will say, God, here I am, make me more like you. He's looking for people who will honor and walk in honor, honor of him and honoring God above man, honoring God above systems and structures of the world, honoring God above all else, and yet walking in his heart and nature and love and how we honor those around us to serve and to love and to lay down our lives for others that God has placed around us to honor them, honor those that are different than us, honor those that disagree with us, to honor them. This is what he invites us into to be a people that he can dwell with. We must be a people of the presence of God. We must be a people that are marked by the presence of God, where the presence of God is evident and tangible and felt and known among us. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're basically a weird social club. In Exodus 33... Verses 14 through 16, this is a dialogue between the Lord and Moses. And it says this in verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? There is nothing going to be different about us unless we carry the presence of God. Unless we are a people that prioritize his presence above all else. We must be a people that are marked with the presence of God. And many of you I know are here because you've come in the room, you've even walked through the front doors, and the first thing you begin to feel was the Spirit of God, was his presence. And you were, you were touched and you were changed and you wanted to stay here, which is amazing. But I'm telling you, God has so much more for us. He wants us to go deeper. He is inviting us to go into a place of more where, that he has for us. To be a people that are, that are evidently marked by the presence of God. That act and look like Jesus. This is what he wants for us. In this place of being humble, of stay humble and stay courageous, I felt like the Lord gave me this, this phrase to go with humility. To, be, to stay open to learn and to stay dependent on God. Open to learn and dependence on God. Pride thinks it knows it all. 
One of the first evidences of pride is the statement, I know. Have you ever said something to one of your kids and they say, I know. I just want to smack that pride. (laughs) If you knew, you should have been doing what I was just telling you to do. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, this is a well-known scripture, but I want to look, have us look at it afresh. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy And my burden is light. Out of all the ways and all the things that Jesus could have used to describe himself here in this moment, he simply described himself as meek or gentle and humble in heart. And he invites us to come to him to learn from him. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And many times we experience a lot of resistance in our lives and we think it's the devil and it's our own pride. We must stay open to learn from the Lord. We must stay humble before him. Again, the phrase he gave me was stay humble, which indicates in many ways that there is a humility at work already in us. And I I believe that is the case, that we are a people who want to walk in humility. And and even just choosing to be a part of the promised church and choosing to call this your church home and come under the leadership of of our leadership team, you in many ways already have to walk in humility because you're choosing to come under the spiritual authority of people who are much younger than you, many of you, who have lived a lot less life than you, who haven't God as much experience as you in many things. And I will be the first to admit, we don't got it all figured out and we don't know everything that we're doing. Sometimes you already have to humble yourself just to stay here. So I honor you for that. I thank you for that. Those of you who are seasoned in life and who've lived a lot of life and are seasoned in the Lord and have been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, I appreciate that humility that you carry to be here in this house. But I believe the Lord is inviting us to go deeper, to go into more. To really humble ourselves before him and to learn from him and to learn from others as well. And to stay in a place of dependence on him where we are in need of him constantly. I really believe that God is trying to get his church's attention to say, do you need me? Are you going to be dependent on me or do you think you got this thing figured out? No matter what successes we experience, no matter what highs God brings us, no matter what great things God does in and through us, we will never be in a place where we feel like we've arrived and we got it all together. Because we don't, and we are nothing without him. And we have been there. <laughs> we, if you have been a part of this church and you know our history, we have been in that place without God and been nothing And it took a lot of humbling to say, God, we need you, and we need your mercy, and we need your grace, and we want to make a church that's built on you and all about you. Will you help us out? And all of a sudden, mercy is extended. Grace is extended. Resurrection life is brought and breathed into a church, and all of a sudden, 
growth, life, transformation takes place. This is where God wants us to be. The problem with mankind, the problem in America, is this problem right here. Independence. A lack of dependence on God. Let me read this scripture for you. Psalms 10, verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Do you live your life where Jesus is an afterthought? Where, where you, you go throughout your day and you have moments where you're like, oh yeah, I should, thank you God for today, thank you for this food, bless my day. And that's like, kind of like the extent of your time with the Lord. Or you just check the box, okay God, I've done my Devo for the day. Did, you know, I spent my 20 minutes with you, I read this cool book, and I, th- I thank you for that, for that and for what you showed me, and uh, just bless my day today. And the rest of the day, there's like no to little thought about him as you go throughout your day. Jesus does not want our boxes checked. He wants our attention. He wants our full attention. To live life where we say, God, I don't want to make room for you because I am all yours. So you can have all of me. And all of my day, and all of my time, and all of my schedule, and all of my family, and my finances, and I'm yours. This is what he is inviting us into. And when we get into a place of self-sufficiency and self-effort, that is pride. And it's no longer being dependent on God. If Jesus, the perfect son of God, said, I can only say and only do what I see and hear my father saying and doing, he lived in perfect dependence on God. How much more do we need to live in that place? To me, that dependence on the Father illustrated Jesus, and Jesus saying, I am meek and humble of heart. Come and learn from me. Come and learn how to be dependent on the Father like I was. This is what he is inviting us into. Psalms 25, verse 4. says this, Show me your ways, Lord, Teach me your paths. This is the cry of a humble person. This is the cry of humility. God, teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. All day long. My hope is in you. You are my hope. You are my God, you're my Savior, you're my King, you're my hope, you're my peace, you're my joy, and nothing's going to take it from me. My, la- my life is on you, built on you, under you, in need of you, every moment of every day. And my eyes are fixed on you. Verse 9 of chapter 25 says, He guides the humble and what or he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way who does he teach the humble see humility keeps you teachable humility keeps you hungry for more humility keeps you childlike dependent on god wanting to learn more humility keeps you holy 
Humility keeps you on your knees in a place of intercession for yourself and for those around you. Crying out for the mercy of God. Heartbroken for the crisis and chaos that goes on around us. Humility keeps you in a place of love and honor that doesn't compromise, that doesn't compromise righteousness or truth, stands on truth, speaks truth, but does it in love and honor. Love is not proud. Verse 12 of chapter 25 of Psalms. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Essentially, the Lord shares his secrets with those who walk in the fear of the Lord. Verse 15, one of my favorites. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It is having an awe, a reverence, and a respect of God. But really, even more than that, it is a constant awareness of His presence. It is realizing and believing and having the attention towards the reality that He really is Emmanuel, God with us. That He is always with us. He is always watching. He is always present. He is always listening. What keeps you out of the snare of temptation? What keeps you out of the bondage of sin? What keeps you holy and pure and humble before the Lord? Eyes on Him. Realizing that He is present. Because I guarantee you, if you realized that God was sitting right next to you, you probably would not give in to that temptation. If you realized that He was right there, Watching what you watch, listening to what you listen to, doing what you're doing. You probably would do it a little differently. But when our eyes get off of him and on all these other things going on around us, and we put our trust or our hope in something else instead of in him, then all of a sudden we are moved, we are shaken, we fall into snares, we fall into idolatry, we fall into misguided hope and misguided trust, we fall into all these things of anxiety and fear and depression because our eyes aren't on him. He wants our attention. I don't know how else to say it, but if 2020 wasn't enough to get our attention, I don't know what else it will take. But somehow I feel the church has still not given their full attention to Jesus. We've given him a lot of great lip service. Oh, my hope is in God. I know he's on the throne. I know he's in control. But then how we post and how we give our attention and how we spend our time and how we talk does not share that, does not show that. I have news for you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you serve a king who is not of this world. Jesus is not an American. Jesus is not a Republican. And he's not a Democrat. And Jesus is not fearful or worried of who is in the Oval Office. office. Period. 
And if we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are consumed with who is in the Oval Office and believe that it is even a solution, even a solution to the problems in our world, we have missed it. The problem with the world is not who is in the Oval Office, nor is it the solution. The problem in humanity and in mankind is pride, is independence. And the solution is simply Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and the power of God demonstrated through his gospel. That is it. And he sits on the throne and he is unshakable and he has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken and he will shake everything else, including American church's idolatry in the presidency and in our government. We have created an idol out of our government, out of our nation. I love America. I'm thankful to be born. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we get to share. I'm thankful that we can gather in a church like this and worship him freely. But what if it's all taken away? Are you going to change? No. My eyes are fixed on him. We cannot be moved like this anymore. It takes courage, but it takes humility. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says this. For this, this is God speaking. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the contrite and to revive the heart of the contrite. God saying, I am God. You want to know why he is king above all? Because he is from above. Again, not of this world. And neither are we. We are in the world, but not of it. We are citizens of heaven. We are not patriots to America. We are citizens of heaven. And we must, as the church first, humble ourselves and ask for the mercy of God upon our land. Because if we really want revival, he says, I will revive who? The humble, the lowly, the contrite. If we want revival in the church and in America, we must humble ourselves. We must ask for the mercy of God. We must be willing to humble ourselves, as the Bible says, and turn from our wicked ways and pray and seek his face. Then God will hear from heaven. Then he will forgive our sin. And then he will heal our land. We cannot ask for the then of the healing and the hearing if we aren't willing to do the humbling. And we're asking the world, we're asking our nation to, to, to humble themselves and turn from their sin when we as a church aren't doing it first. And when we see the events that go on in our nation and around us, and if it doesn't break our heart and drive us to our knees, then we are in the wrong place. We are in the wrong place of our heart. He says, I dwell in high and lofty places. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. All of the earth is his. But he says, I really like and I really desire to be with and to dwell with the humble. 
And humility isn't just an action or an activity. It is a place of the heart. And activity comes from there and then is sustained because of what is in the heart. And that only comes through coming to the Lord and humbling ourselves before him in repentance and saying, God, I am in need of you. I am dependent upon you and I am nothing without you. And I love you. And then all of a sudden, grace comes. All of a sudden, a move of his spirit comes that sweeps across our great nation. But if we think that God cannot fulfill his purposes in the world without America, we're in trouble. I've gone to a few nations. I'm, I'm only 35, almost 36. I've only gone, I've gone to about a handful of nations in the world. And I, I'll tell you what, I've never heard America described as humble. We, we go to other nations on missions trips and we tell other cultures and other nations that they need to do church like we do it in America for it to be right. That doesn't sound like humility. We are known. America is literally known for its pride. And if we are thinking that all of a sudden God's not going to humble us or ask, get us to a place of crying out for him and his mercy, I don't know what else to say. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says through Moses to the people of Israel, right before they are about to enter into the promised land, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they're about to enter into their inheritance into the promised land. And he tells them, do not forget what I have done for you. Remember what I have done for you. Remember the miracles of deliverance and how I took you out of Egypt. Remember how I sustained you in a wilderness for 40 years where your sandals did not wear out and your clothes did not wear out. And I brought you bread in a dry desert. I brought you enough water to to quench the thirst of over a million people in a dry desert. And he says, I did all of this to test you so that you would be humble. He actually provided and was miraculous to them to show them humility and to help them be humble so that they would not think that they could do everything on their own, that they would not think that they could go into the next step, the promised land, on their own. And the bread and the water represent Jesus fully and completely. Jesus said, I am the manna that came from heaven. I am the bread of life. Bread speaks of satisfaction. You eat it, you're full. Water speaks of sustenance. You can live days without bread. And many of you might be doing that here soon, starting tomorrow in our 21 days of fasting. But you cannot live without water. It sustains you. And Jesus, in, in, through that passage and through that illustration to the nation of Israel, he's still telling us today, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am your satisfaction and I am your sustenance. I alone can save you. If you look to anything else besides me, you're missing it. Do I have your attention? The Lord is wanting our attention. 
Why does the next thing seem to be coming and the, the, the trend of 2020 not seem to be ending? Because we haven't given them our attention yet. Will you stand with me? As we go into communion, as we come before the table of the Lord, my heart in doing this is to unify around the cross, to unify around Jesus. We can disagree about a lot of things. We can disagree about political parties and disagree about policies and perspectives. We can disagree about finances. We can disagree about sports teams. We can disagree about a lot of things. But if we can rally together as a church family around the cross of Jesus Christ, remembering what he has done, remembering his sacrifice, remembering his body and his blood that was broken and poured out for you and for me, if we can remember that place and we can look to him as our sustenance and as our satisfaction, I'm telling you, we will see a move of God come into this church through us, through this region that we have never even dreamt of. And it takes humility to rally together in the midst of differences, to come together and say, it's all about Jesus. It takes humility to come dependent and desperate for, the, for God. Come to him and say, God, we need you. We need you. Have mercy on us first, your people, the church. Have mercy on us, God. Forgive us. Forgive our land. Forgive the sin in our land. Have mercy on us, God. We need you. So God, I thank you for what you have done. God, we remember, just right now, in your own words, from your own heart, from your own mouth, just put your attention on the Lord and just begin to thank him. Begin to remember what he has done. Begin to sing your own song of of love and of worship to him. Just begin to thank him. Lord, we thank you for the cross. But God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace for your mercy, for your forgiveness. God, we thank you for dying in our place. God, for becoming sin to make us righteous. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you're alive today. You've raised from the dead. You're seated on your throne. God, that you are the king above all. God, that you are all we need. You're all we want. You're all we desire, Jesus. Thank you for coming and making your home inside of us. God, thank you for for washing away our sins. Thank you, Jesus. In this place of stay humble and stay courageous, the Lord showed me in this place of courage that we must stay contending for what he paid for on the cross, that we can no longer tolerate or just live with or just get by with things going on in our lives that he paid the price for. We can no longer look to the day we die and go to heaven to be the answer or the solution to the things that we're experiencing. They're not of his will and the things that are not of his word. He paid the price to take care of and to remove all sin, all bondage, all depression, all fear, all anxiety. He paid the price to heal all sickness and all disease and to remove all pain. This is what he gave his life for. We must contend. We must stay in that place of remembering what he has done. Do not take lightly his sacrifice. 
to not become familiar or to be take for granted the price that he paid for your healing the same price he paid for your salvation and the forgiveness of your sins he paid for for your healing and we must look to him for that and say thank you for that and stay in that place with him for that so do this take take the bread Jesus, we come to your table, Lord. Lord, your word even says that you prepare a table for us even in the midst of our enemies. God, we just simply want to commune with you. Simply want to be with you. We simply want to see you and know you more. As Moses cried, Lord, teach us your ways that we may know you. And Lord, we come to you as the bread of life, as you said, in John 6.35, that you are the bread of life, that whoever comes to you will never be hungry and will never thirst again, that, God, you are our, our satisfaction. Nothing else of this world will do. Only you, Jesus. Only you can satisfy every part of our soul, every part of our life, every part of our body. I thank you, Jesus, for your body was, that was broken for us. We thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for, for yielding yourself, for laying your life down. And Lord, as you humbled yourself before humanity and before the Father, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. God, and we yield ourselves before you. And God, we say, search us and know us and see if there be any wicked in us, God, and remove it from us. Purify us, O God, that the meditation of our heart and our mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God. take this bread in remembrance of you. God, let us never forget your sacrifice. Let us never forget what you took in your body as you were beaten, as you were tortured, as you were suffocated horribly and cruelly for us that you took our place, that you became sin, that we would become righteous. Lord, we thank you. We remember. We remember, Lord. Let that remembrance keep us humble. Let that remembrance keep us dependent. Let that remembrance satisfy us fully and completely, Lord. You may partake of the bread. take the cup. I want to read the scripture for you. John 4, 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is our cup. He's our portion. 
He sustains us. He is the new wine that gives joy. In Isaiah 53 verse 4, it says, Surely He, Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him and by His wounds. We are healed. And in this place, I want us to contend. I want us to come boldly before the throne of grace because of His blood that was opened up for us, because of His body, that curtain. And I want us to be in a place of thanking Him and receiving the healing that He paid for. So if you need healing in your body, just lift up the cup before Him and just begin to thank Him and say, God, I thank You for paying the price for my healing. I thank You and I receive the work of the cross in my life and in my body. I thank You that You paid the price, God, to remove all pain from my body, to remove all sickness from my body, to remove every disease from my body. I thank You, Jesus. And I plead your blood over my body right now. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, just thank him that he paid the price to break every bondage of the mind and of of every emotion. He paid the price to heal every pain of our hearts, every brokenness of the heart he paid the price for. God, we thank you. I plead your blood, Jesus, over every person here in this place. Oh, God, I ask that you would do a work in their lives and in their bodies. I thank you that you paid the price on the cross for healing and for freedom from all sin, from freedom from all bondage. I take authority of every spirit of infirmity and every affliction that has come against your people. And I ask, oh God, for healing to come, for freedom to come, for deliverance to come. Lord Jesus, I ask that you drive out all sickness and all disease and all pain. I take authority of every demonic spirit and every demonic lie of strongholds of mind in the minds and hearts of your people. And I ask God that you would come and do what only you can do and set your people free and heal your people, Lord. I thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. You paid the price. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. And we thank you, Lord. And we celebrate you. And we honor you. And in remembrance of what you've done, we worship you. You may take of the cup. For the next few moments, church, I want us to worship the Lord with everything that we have. He alone is worthy. He alone is king. He alone is God. He paid the price for you. And we want to celebrate him. We want to honor him. We want to love on him. If you want to come to the front, you can come to the front. If you feel the need to humble yourself and beg and ask for the mercy of God over yourself, over this nation, over our land, I encourage you to come to the front. Let's cry out to the Lord. He alone is God. He alone is worthy. He's done it all. We love you, Jesus.
Come on, just sing that out. And oh, Christ be magnified. Oh, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified. It's all we want, God. in this room, I want you to begin to pray in the Spirit. Out loud, pray in the Spirit. scripture that I want to share with you and um, if you haven't noticed there's a lot happening in our world today you need to be living under a rock to not know that and I feel like it's important for us as Christians to know practically very practically how we are to act during a season like this in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, before Jericho, right before Jericho. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword, an angel of the Lord. And Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us? Or are you for our enemy? 
Are you on my side or are you on their side? Are you with my political party or are you with theirs? And the angel replies to him and he says, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. He replies and he says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua realizes, I've made a mistake. And he falls down, face down to the ground in reverence. And he asks him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did just that. I do not care which president, which old white man you voted for. First of all, you will never convince me that the man in the Oval Office is the linchpin to what Jesus wants to do on the earth. He is not dictated based upon who happens to be president of the United States, nor is the world dictated by America. But in a message of humility that my brother did so well speaking on, pride says, God, are you on my side or are you on their side? Pride says, God must be on my side because I'm part of the army of the Lord. When really God looks back at you and he says, bro, I ain't on your side. I'm on my side. Will you be on his side or will you be on yours? Pride says, but I'm standing for truth. God must be on my side. God is not on your side. And pride and arrogance will cause you to act and respond and criticize and tear down because they don't believe what you believe. And we are throwing stones at different people because we think they don't know what they're talking about. When Jesus says, those of you who are perfect, you cast the first stone. The people you're throwing stones at and criticizing are the very people that Jesus took stripes on his body for. The very people you think they don't know what they're talking about. The very people that you think, well, they must be ludicrous and insane for believing what they believe. Those are the ones that Jesus died for. Those ones. And we stand there and we say, God, are you on my side or are you on their side? This is very political. What I'm saying right now, very political, and it's meant to be. Because there's people in this room, you vote Republican or you vote Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party or Tea Party or the after party. You believe in Antifa, you follow the queue, you're a supporter of Black Lives Matter or you're not. Everybody in here believes something that's probably different than everybody else. God does not believe exactly what you believe. I'm just gonna, just gonna lay that out there and let you digest it. Because you're not God. And God is not on your side. He is the side. And it is light versus dark. It is not your viewpoints versus theirs. And it's time for the church to begin to actually live like the way the church was supposed to live, humbly. So when we all get crazy and start posting garbage, criticizing and trying, no one changes their perspective because of what you post. 
They never will. They never will. But as he said, how will people know that you are different? Because you are a carrier of the presence of God. It is not because you are eloquent with words and can convince somebody which you will never accomplish with your own perspectives. It's because you are a carrier of the presence of God. That is what the world needs. It does not need your opinion. Are you on my side or are you on theirs? God is not on your side. Are you on his? Are you on his? And whether there be rioting in Portland, D.C., or in Woodland, it does not change the way that the church should respond. It does not change the way that the words coming out of your mouth should build up in love. But too often the church spews garbage. And Joshua responds, are you on my side? Or theirs and all of a sudden he realizes shoot I'm standing in front of the Lord and he falls face down and realizes it's not about me pride tells you it's about you and your opinions humility says it is not about me it's not about my opinions it's simply about him so over the next couple of weeks as things continue to get digested as garbage continues to be spouted on every media outlet, you must decide. Are you on your side or are you on God's side? Because your side will defend yourself. When you're on God's side, you'll promote Him. Let us be a church that represents Jesus well, not our ideologies. Amen. Should I say it all again? Have we got it? All right. Because it will get worse. Because what happens is as darkness gets stronger, light gets greater. And I, those people who will say, Let's just be very frank. Let's do water cooler talk for a moment. Well, God can't move if Trump isn't president. First of all, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Second of all, Trump is not God. Okay? Neither is Biden. God will do exactly what he wants to do and to say that America is like Israel bro okay God is bigger than your box that you've put him in than your political religious perspective that you've created and we can clap but let's let's live it on a Monday okay The very people that you can't stand are the people he's called you to love. So get over yourself and love them. Another opportunity to die to self. It's another opportunity to realize it's not what I believe that matters. It's simply about promoting Jesus and the kingdom of God. Before you're a citizen of America, this great perfect state, you are a citizen of heaven. 
represent that citizenship better than we have been. Amen.